Crafty Radio, episode 309, on November 17th, 2014. Hello everybody, welcome to Craft Beer Radio. This is Greg Weiss. This is Jeff Bear. We have a special guest with us. It's Tommy Arthur from Port Brewing, Lost Abbey. Hi Tommy. Uh, yeah, so this is um, a little bit different show than a normal show. We have a special co-host, we have Tommy on. Uh, the ambiance of the show is going to be a little bit different. We're in the back of Smoke and Joe's on the south side of Pittsburgh. We're not in my basement as we normally are. And uh, tonight we're going to do some, some beers and, uh, and have Tommy uh, review them along with us. So We're excited. So, so, Tommy, you're here today because you're launching Port Brewing Lost Abbey in western Pennsylvania. We are. We're, um, it's a great day for us. We've stayed out of Pittsburgh in the, in the western part of PA. We've been in uh, the Philadelphia and the greater Philly 5 County area for a long time, but uh, finally decided that we had enough beer and the, and the right distributor partner um, to work with, and so we're here in uh, lovely November to uh, celebrate a Steelers win, hopefully tonight, and, uh, and drink great beer. All right, so while we get onto it, and, and the one thing that I wanted to focus, just to let the listeners know, right, I wanted to focus on, I didn't want this to be the Tommy Arthur Hour, right? It gets enough of that, so we're going to just kind of do our straight show, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about Corporate and Lost Abbey, but... Um, we want to have an expert to review it with us. Pretty much, yeah. I just get paid to drink, right? <laughs> <laughs> we don't even get paid for that. All right, so the first beer, Greg. This is Rivertown Holly Hockey. This is a pineapple ale, 4.8% alcohol. Now, Rivertown is a really small uh, microbrewery, a new brewery here in Pittsburgh. Yeah, they're, uh, they've been around for... Uh, Almost four years now, I would say. Okay. So I wouldn't really call them really small or, or new, but they are a small microbrewery here in Pittsburgh. So, <laughs> so my attitudes were close. Right. So this beer is uh, brewed with pineapple, uh, kind of like maybe the Maui um, Maui Gold uh, sure. beer. Yeah. Uh, and I've had it before, but not in quite a while. So the beer pour is really clear. Almost like champagne. In, in terms of the look of it, yeah, it's, it's a really got, pretty color. I don't, yeah. I don't know if the pineapple contributes. It's got almost a green tinge to it, but it's pretty, okay. pretty cool looking beer. It, it poured with a, a moderate head, and then it is uh, kind of falling down quickly. It's definitely some pineapple on the aroma. Along yeah, the aroma. So when I first poured it, and it was very volatile from the pour, I was getting a whole bunch of sulfur. Now that has gone down some, and I'm getting pineapple. But that first sniff was really stinky. Uh, I'm not sure what it. We'll see. Have to see if that comes back. Is this a lager beer? Do you know? It's an ale, so probably. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's whatever they're doing with it. Yeah, there's like I, 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 I swirled it up and I took another sniff and I get something that's kind of Limburger cheesy, you know, almost like uh, I don't know. I mean, it's not quite. It doesn't smell you know, lactic or like anything. But I think it's more like a stilton. Like if you had a, a stilton with some fruit in it, you might get that kind of aroma. But then if you don't swirl it, and the beer's kind of still when you smell it, you get the pineapple aroma on the, on the beer. I agree. I think it needs to be a little bit warmer, actually, so I'm kind of warming it up. Yeah, I think the beer's a little on the chilly side. So so one thing I wanted to mention to you, Tommy, is uh, the, the glasses we're using today are the Speedwell uh, tulip glasses. I'm I've prob- never used them before. They're uh, beautiful. Never used them. Yeah, we yeah. love these glasses. Uh, Spiegel has never given us a penny, but uh, maybe we give them too much prize, <laughs> praise or they would. But we think these are some of the best beer glasses ever. And I was curious because uh, Lost Abbey has some, some pretty unique shaped glassware. And one thing I'd like to talk about is 
you know, your decision process in, in choosing the glasses that you did and how much thought was into that and, and the kind of the process there? So we're using two glasses from uh, Rostal. One is the uh, TQ, which is a, a STEM a stem glass, and um, I always call it sort of our Pinot Noir glass. It has a very Pinot Noir sort of shape to it. Um, and we also have their what we call their chunky tumbler. Um, it's a very eight-sided sort of square panel. Um, we, we call it kind of like a Hogarden glass. Um, chunky tumbler in the sense that it's a, it's a very stout glass um, and more farmhouse than sort of its basis. So okay. um, we've been using them for about six years, I think, if, if not longer. And um, I was in Italy in uh, 2007 or 2008 when the Teku glass basically uh, kind of was debuted. And um, I, I know Lorenzo de Bova, and he's one of the two, um, as well as uh, Teo from Baladin, who they developed the glass. Um, it's called a degustation glass. It's basically for, uh, it's for sampling. And we used them, uh, the Teku glass, uh, to judge an entire homebrew competition. Okay. Um, I was very impressed by the by the level of commitment that they had to using that kind of glassware. Um, these are beautiful. These spigolas are great, and they absolutely have a, a lot of great functioning for, for aroma and flavor. Our issue with them is that they're very, very thin. Yeah. And in terms of being able to uh, put them in a bar environment or a tavern environment and say you should be right. using these, um, it, you know, the, the, there's a lot of difficulty with that. So... We selected two glasses that we thought worked for our beers in terms of uh, flavor and, and aroma, um, but also had some durability or a little bit higher level durability than, than we've seen. And for the most part, we don't get a lot of complaints about it, so it must be working. Yeah, so these Spiegel glasses, you may or may not know, but Chris out of Falling Rock uses these. And I was asking him about the durability of these, and he says the problem's not with the bowls breaking. Yeah, it's They break the, at the stem yeah. is where all these glasses break. Yeah, it's it's it is. It's such a great thing to have the right glass for your beer. Um, it's just a matter of how much can the bar be, you know, how much can the bar or the tavern be asked to absorb in terms of lost, either theft glassware or or be basically you know breakage. Mm-hmm. And uh, somewhere in there, there's absolutely an equation. And and um, you know, in some states, we're not even allowed to give glassware away. In California specifically, okay. we have to sell it to the retailers. And uh, so for that reason, you know, they're not gonna they're not gonna really want to be paying high 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 dollar for that kind of stuff. Right. This beer is interesting, um, given that it's you know snowing outside. Um, it's not exactly the, the beer I would think you would see on tap, and, and having been in Maui in, in uh, the winter, it's a very different mix of uh, flavors. But I judged oh, yeah. I judged the uh, Urban Spice Beer category at the Great American Beer Festival this year, and we gave the silver medal to a beer from Austin, Texas. Okay. Um, it's called Five Stones Brewing, and it's a jalapeno pineapple beer. And I think that... Pineapple is an interesting flavor in beer, and it's 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 great to 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 sample it and to see the different texture and the, and the aromas you're talking about. But for me, that that five stone beer was so impressive because of the acidity and the the, the heat from the, 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 the jalapeno in balance with the sweetness of the pineapple. And uh, I think that uh, overall, it makes for a more interesting beer to have the yin and the yang a little bit. Um, while this is a great beer, it's, it, it does lean to be sweet in a way that um, I think could be complemented a little bit more or contrasted. I, I think you're right. I think that the the flavor I'm getting besides the pineapple, which is pretty strong, is kind of a, a graham cracker sweetness, a little bit of vanilla, a little bit of maybe something kind of cinnamon-like, but but it's really on the low. But it's just sort of that the malt character is a little bit like graham cracker. Yeah, I wonder what, you know, what... It's such a. It's, it's. I don't want to say it's pejoratively sweet, but it is very sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder, you know, why 
the the contract or the heat from the, the jalapenos and you know, why those two play off of each other and get the sense that you know maybe as an IPA you could have a pineapple IPA and there's there's ways to, to play around with that. Right. Um, there's certainly nothing wrong with the beer. It drinks very easy. Um, just for my personal preferences, I, I I'd, I'd like a little more depth and that depth to come from some kind of a spice texture. I'm getting a fair amount of sulfury off of this beer. I mean, I've had this one before. I don't drink it all the time, but I think I remember it being a lot cleaner the last time I had it. Um, so, you know, a small brewery, probably some variability. Um, I'm not too familiar with uh, the kind of controls they have at, at Rivertown. Do you know if this is sort of like their flagship or, or sort of one of their main they, beers? They, this is one of their bigger beers. It's yeah. not their biggest. Like, um, The Grateful White is, is one of their ones in the their RT Lager is pretty big. I remember when, you know, the first time I had this was at that uh, Brewer's Ball pot, or Brewer's Ball event, right? And you tried it first. You're like, Jeff, you got to try this pineapple beer. And, yeah, it was it was a lot. It was very clean and crisp. And, again, during a beer fest, right, it's hard to judge on a, as opposed to a clean palate. But uh, it, We it, were eating a lot of barbecue at the same time. <laughs> I think that kind of helps, you know, that, that, uh, that plays into... This would go really well with some food. I think this would cut food very nicely. But mm-hmm. yeah, on its own, particularly starting out, it's a little bit, it's a little thin. I'm glad. I'm glad we went with the uh, regional flair. This is something I wouldn't necessarily have walked up and ordered off the menu. Um, so it's great to it's great to try a beer that uh, wouldn't have been sort of on my on my agenda for the yeah. That's kind of the theme for tonight. Is um, we're going to select several beers that Tommy can't get out in California uh, local beers so the next one we're going to go to is a brewery that's really new to Pittsburgh almost as new as the Lost Abbey is to Pittsburgh and that is Evil Genius Brewing Company which is a Philly based company and I presume Wilson McGinley is their wholesaler too because the rep that's accompanying you told me a lot about (laughs) Evil Genius so sorry I'm sorry Uh, this is their Turtle Power Grapefruit Pale Ale. So we're going from one fruit to another. Uh, one, I guess, marginally topical fruit to another. They malt it. The malts to use are two row and crystal. Uh, hopped with Citra. 5.5% out by volume 50 IBUs. It's a June limited release. It smells really good. Oh, yeah. yeah. The amount of grapefruit that they've carried into the beer is pretty impressive. And I think some of that citra is also coming out, too. The, the citronella-like aromas that come out of citra are sort of adding to the way the, the grapefruit Yeah, the, uh, the aroma in this one, you can tell that they added a lot of juice to it. And it reminds me of that Six Point Rad that we had over the summer, right? Um, we had a beer on the show from Six Point. It, it was their interpretation of a Radler. Okay. But they called it Rad, mm-hmm. and it was really heavy in grapefruit juice and pineapple juice, and really different from any kind of Rattler that I've had in the past where it was more of a fruit juice beer cocktail than, you know, a lager with lemon ju- or lemonade added yeah. or something like that. So, and It's difficult to, to take the grapefruit and make it so I mean, aromatically interesting and, and put, a, you know, put a really good you know, level of, of, of that grapefruit aroma on, on the nose, but at the same time um, you know, grapefruits are not the, not the simple, you know, the, the, they're not the juiciest of, of of uh, you know, in terms of sweetness, in terms of citrus fruits, and so 
you know, we always talk about, you know, when people eat grapefruit for breakfast, there's always a lot of sugar being added to it. Right. Mm-hmm. But you don't see a lot of this in this beer, a lot of residual sugar. Um, so the balance of it being in the nose without it being overly pithy or even just um, white pulpy or even bitter. Mm-hmm. Um, the bitterness is clean, but it's a hot bitterness, not, not really a fruit bitterness. Right. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that defied my perception or my expectation on the first sip was I expected something a lot more pithy you know and really it it avoids the pithiness it does come in a little bit in the aftertaste but up front you know it was very you know fleshy you know you were getting a lot of the flesh flavors off the fruit there's definitely some pithy and maybe some of that citra bitterness coming at the end I'm, I'm really trying to figure out what that middle flavor is there's something interesting going on I think with the combination of the grapefruit juice and the citra and I'm trying to place what that flavor is yeah, it's got a little bit of an astringency to it, which I'm not sure isn't coming from the, the grapefruit edition. Because um, in the finish, there's certainly a long drawn out. And it's not really a hop sort of astringency or, right. or even a bitterness from that. So I think there's a grapefruit bitterness, there's a hop bitterness, and then there's, there's probably one middle layer, which is either a you know, malt astringency or a combination of the two. But it, it it's a flavor that you're not seeing in other... Um, it's, not, it's a standalone flavor, but it might be just a conjunctive thing coming from the two of them. Yeah, I mean, a little bit more about uh, Evil Genius. Since it's new to us, it's going to be new to a lot of our listeners. Uh, like I said, Brewery Out of Philly. Uh, the one thing I know about them so far is they have comical and non-descriptive names for their beers, right? Um, Purple Monkey Dishwasher, Trick or Treat. Um, Turtle Power. Turtle Power. Uh, it seems like one of the things that they do often, all the beers I've seen so far here and at other bars in the past couple weeks, is that they're chocolate beers or you know there's always some kind of inventive adjunct added to it you know it's a flavored beer of some sort um do you see from the website whether they have a flagship that is a beer with an additive or whether it's a, a tradition more traditional beer unfortunately the only thing i have from their website is the pdf of, of oh, okay. their beer so i, I could go right. to so they have a tumbler they're too busy making beer to have yeah. websites which which is fine do you know where that brewery is in philadelphia so, um, the Wilson McGinley rep mentioned that right now they're brewing in New Jersey, and they're building their breweries. So they might be contract brewing at, at one of the breweries okay. in New Jersey, maybe Flying Fish or something like that. Okay, I have more information about them. So look at their flagship, it's probably the Evil Eye PA, the American Beer Palo, um, and Turtle Power is one of their, like I said, uh, late summer editions. Trick or Treat, Chocolate Pumpkin Porter, another adjunct. Stacy's Mom, a Citra India Pale Ale, October release. We've mentioned Purple Monkey Dishwasher, which we may be having later. Uh, Naughty or Nice, Spiced Winter Warmer. I Love Lamp. <laughs> Another pineapple beer. Another, yeah, pineapple half. Uh, Siren White IPA and Hot King Imperial India Pale Okay, so it seems like about half their lineup has untraditional ingredients yeah. and then the other half are, are more traditionally ingredient based so my perception was a little bit off just because of the beers that are making it to market yeah. right now you think there's a lot of energy behind the brand people really? um, so last Friday was the first time I've seen them in town Okay, uh, I was at a bar uh, last Friday and they had um, actually so that bar didn't have the creative name up they just said Evil Genius Chocolate Porter or something oh. like that so, <laughs> so I didn't know they had creative names until we got here actually <laughs> I wonder if they get get sued for Stacy's mom just because it's you know, space on that song. Yeah, I, I wondered about that, but uh, it's, it's kind of difficult. 
Yeah. You know, you, you got to figure that they're right on the edge, probably. And, and uh, they, you can just say, "Hey, we know." A, yeah, you know, our mom, our mom is Stacy. Yeah. You know. Right, right. It's a great reference, though. But uh, <laughs> I'm guessing they're probably going to be okay. Yeah. So uh, as drinking this beer, it kind of has a good balance to it, right? The grapefruit. I was worried. I had a taster of this uh, before when we were setting up, and just sitting with her, I wanted to have a pint of it. You know, yeah. before we started recording. And from the taster, it seemed like, oh, I'm not sure I could stand a whole pint of that. I think that the grapefruit juice acidity was going to be, like, piling and piling and piling, right? But it seems like it has a great balance, and, you know, I'm through my sample, and, you know, the, it's not it, like there's any palate fatigue from the spears. So it tastes it. kind of like, I seem to remember my grandmother used to have these little, like, grapefruit candies, those mm-hmm. little hard candies, and some of the flavors mm-hmm. seem somewhat similar to that. I think they did a good job with it. It's uh, the yeah. The question is, is would you you know, is it a pint beer? Is it a two pint beer? You know, kind of thing. Right. Um, it's. I think the aroma is really cool, and uh, I think the flavor is nice. Uh, wouldn't be my go to as a sort of a, a, a pint beer, but um, clearly nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. All right. So the next beer we're going to go to is Great Lakes Brewing Edmund Fitzgerald, and this is not a new beer. No. This was one of the best beers I could get my hands on when I first started getting into craft beer. And I got a case of it in my fridge right now. You know, so it's an old favorite. It's a it's a, it's a comfort beer for me. It's a good standard. This is this was at one point probably one of the best porters made in America. I don't know whether that is still true today, but it's still a pretty fantastic beer all told. I think Facebook told me last week was the 38th anniversary of the sinking of the ship, or the 65th anniversary of the sinking of the Edmund. Yeah, so I, I, I don't remember exactly the date or the timeline, but I know that it was there was a big anniversary for that. So, thought I'd throw out my history buffs. <laughs> so the malts that they used are Harrington Two Row Base, a Crystal 77, chocolate and roasted barley. It's hopped with Northern Brewer, Willamette, and Cascade. It's 5.8 percent alcohol by volume, 37 IBUs. It's a nice, nice roasty aroma. A little vanilla, almost maybe a little bit of a little diacetyl or a little bit of a, a vanillin kind of quality to it. Mm-hmm. Makes it very, very interesting. Um, the roast is, is great. The, the bitterness of a bitter roasted um, sort of texture in the nose is, is, is very pleasing. Mm. Yeah, this is vanilla coming through chocolates. I think the diacetyl is a little higher on this than, say, the bottles I have at home. Again, it kind of this like buttery, you know, especially towards the end, it kind of turns into a little bit of popcorn. Um, yeah, it's actually really pleasing in a beer like this. Though. I mean, it can be pleasing to, if it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't run away with the with the beer itself. Right, right. Um, but you know, dark beers don't don't mind that as much, um, and it, right. it's been a, you know, historically been a, a big part of you know, tavern beers and things like that. So. It's been a long time since I've had this beer. It's a very, very good choice. Yeah, I'm getting a... Now, I'll put some heat into it. You know, wrap my hands around the glass, put some heat into it. I'm getting really a great... That last sip was so satisfying, right? It was a great blend of, of some roastiness, a lot of chocolate, a touch of vanilla. Um, it's, it's really... 
I think there's a nice astringency that kind of that, that knocks down any diacetyl flavor you might get. It kind of cuts that, cuts yeah. through that. Even though at the end, I guess you can taste a little bit, a little bit of that, a little, a little bit of that butter popping. Yeah, yeah, the sip I took, I didn't get that, and the hopping was starting to come through, through too. Right, mm-hmm. it, it came across to me almost like uh, an English style, like a. Maybe a Fuggles. It's hard to say. Nothing too distinct, but it definitely felt in like an English hopping coming off of the, the tail of the beer. The balance right? is exceptional. I mean, there's really nothing about it where the balance isn't you know, out of whack. And uh, I guess the word for me is just it's really soft. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, some porters can be very ashy and very yeah black and tarry and, and, uh, and even you know, overly chocolatey or the wrong kind of bitterness. And, and this, this just has a very, very smooth brown, brown beer base. I assume that they sell quite a bit of beer in this in this market. Yeah, I, I, so a lot of people don't really have the right perception of how wide Pennsylvania is. Mm-hmm. You know, driving on the turnpike, it's five hours to get to Philly. Yeah. It's it's a little less than two hours to get to Cleveland. So Cleveland is actually more, even though more hated um, <laughs> because of football, traditionally, right? Yeah. When, back when the, the Ravens were the Browns. Um, but, you know, it, it's pretty close. You can go up there for... A weekend, you know, or you know, even a day trip to Cleveland, and they have a pretty good beer scene up there. So, yeah, I think there's a fair amount of Great Lakes sold in the market. And for a while, when Pittsburgh was not a very large craft beer city, you could still get Great Lakes in a lot of places, even places that did not have mm-hmm. much in the way of craft beer. So, uh, this is coming into their Christmas season, which is their biggest selling beer. Uh, it's not on tap here, but uh, actually, the Christmas sale is on, is on tap. tap. Yeah, yeah so they sell a tremendous amount of that beer. I went uh, so last couple of years. I they, so there's Cleveland, and a little bit west of Cleveland is Sandusky, where Cedar Point is, mm-hmm. and they have some islands in the lake there. And last couple of years, I've gone vacationing up there, camping on the island. And uh, so this year, we stopped at Great Lakes and got a tour of the brewery the day they were brewing Christmas sale. <laughs> Talk about. Potpourri, Christmas yeah. aroma, like just everywhere. It was oh, so so potent the day they brewed Christmas ale. Yeah, or one of the days they brewed Christmas ale. Their numbers in that beer are just staggering. It's it's enormous amount of their production. It's really cool to see. Um, you know, breweries have such you know, large breweries have something that goes that penetrates that far. Um, but I just I, I the, when I hear about the numbers of how much of that beer they make, it's incredible. Yeah. I had no idea that Christmas sale was such a big part of their of their portfolio. I did realize this year they're really promoting it on social media and whatnot. You know, they're re- all in on the Christmas sale, so makes sense knowing that that's one of their biggest sellers or their biggest seller now. But I do want to point out that as much as I love you know Andrew Fitzgerald and, and the other beers they have, my favorite Great Lakes still is Dortmunder Gold. Yeah, I think it's a, just a fantastic export lager. It just really nails. Everything about doing yeah. that, that style. Yeah, I mean, if I was going to show two beers of Great Lakes to somebody for the first time, it would be Edmund Fitz and Dortmund Gold. And it's beers they've been making the entire time that we've been doing the show. You know, it's not like they're new, inventive citra mosaic beers. They're old classics that are still fantastic. I mean, they're just great workhorse kinds of beers, and you know, there's there's absolutely a need, and, and you know, they're not even niche. They're just there's needs for beers like that. So, mm-hmm. um, so. We, we had three beers poured. We're going to pause here in a second and get a couple more. But uh, let's take a break and uh, talk a little bit about, um, I don't know, Lost Abbey. Um, so a lot of our listeners know of you, know of your brewery. You're, you're kind of a cult brewery. Um, what's, I don't know, I guess the first question is, what's new with the Lost Abbey? What, what, what are what's, some new what's things? What's going on? Yeah. 
Um, so we opened our doors in 2006. We took over the original stone brewing building space. Um, we're producing about 15,000, 16,000 barrels of beer per year, and we're growing at about 10%, 15% per year. Um, so we're on a very slow growth, sort of managed growth process right now. Um, it's great for us. We're, we're not looking to build a giant new brewery right now, and we're kind of just doing, um, doing what we want to do on our, on our own terms. So we haven't launched a new market in two years. This is the first time um, since we launched in New Jersey in 2012, I believe, that we've added a new wholesaler to the mix. And for us, it's really just about staying true to, to the creative spirit and really working hard to figure out you know, the best places for our beers to be. Um, over 60% of our beer is sold in California um, between the two brands, our Port Brewing and our Lost Abbey brand. So um, while we have this cult following and, and we, we like to tell people we're a little brewery with a big reputation, um, you know, we, we're still very small in, in, the, in the sort of, you know, as, as, beer, as the beer goes east, we're, we're, not, we're not huge and, and impactful in that way. But our brands um, carry a lot of weight. They're, they're incredibly well-built beers, and I think people prize them and they love to see um, you know, and, and the energy that goes behind them. I mean, clearly we're going to see that this week in Pittsburgh. We're going to have a lot of fans who have been waiting, um, and they're going to come out and see the big things that they've been reading about. Uh, our future is probably tied more to the beers that we're currently producing and uh, realistically trying to increase our sour beer production. We're in the process of uh, finalizing some bids on a new packaging line so that we can move the old packaging line to um, a dedicated sour beer hall. Um, we purchased two... Uh, 3,200 gallon folders or oak upright tanks earlier this summer and uh, really just looking to continue to increase the amount of sour beer that we can produce. Almost all of it is sold in Southern California and much of it is sold only from the brewery so we'd like to be able to get a little bit more of it out the door and uh, it's one of our strengths for sure. So. Yeah, that was you actually started to answer my follow-up question and that is the what part of your portfolio are we going to see released here in Pittsburgh? Um, you know, we're working with Wilson McGinley, who's our wholesaler, to basically for the next year um, sort of roll out on a, on a, on a monthly or, or bi-monthly basis uh, new beers and core beers and things. So we're going we're gonna to sort of come, come at the market a little bit slower than normal, and then we'll increase uh, a new beer every one to two months or two beers. Um, the hope is, is by year's end of 2015, most of everything... Uh, core and seasonal that we would have done or made available to our other wholesalers would be in this market. Uh, we certainly don't see any reason why that wouldn't be. Um, the biggest issue for us is always the sour beer. We don't have enough of it to drop into you know, new wholesalers on a, on a big level, so it takes us you know, over a year to sort of ramp up that production, so we're, we're hoping to, to be able to you know, see more of that come this way, but some of our barrel-aged beers, our non-sour barrel-aged beers, um, will be in the market. We've got some deliverance that's already here. I think uh, Bourbon Angel Share is coming as well. Uh, beyond that, we're just, you know, we're really working hard to develop a footprint um, where, you know, some bars in town will carry a, a wide range of our stuff um, so that, you know, everybody gets to support the brand and, and uh, we can, you know, again, go slow and steady on something like this. Do you have any questions, Greg? Uh, not right now. All right. I think we're going to pause, get the next couple beers lined up, and we'll be right back. All right. We are back with the second half of the show, and the phone's ringing. I'll get it. <laughs> so are we going to start with the, uh, the percolator? Perky Bust. Perky Bust. I keep mentioning that. Are you up. sure it's that one? I thought you said this one was Perky Bust. Let's see. You should be able to tell from the aroma. You should be able to tell. No, I moved it over. So that should be dishwasher, and this is oh, okay. Okay. 
Yes, that's definitely the coffee beer. <laughs> <laughs> so this is from Full Pint. This is their Perky Bust American Porter. Full Pint is out of North for Sales. They have it's six point oh percent alcohol by volume. So just a standard coffee porter then. Trying uh, to find the, the website itself, I can see. Uh, yeah, it's coffee porter. This one was dispensed on nitro. It almost smells like there's a chilling component to it, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think you're right. It, it does kind of have a bit of a um, chili component, almost like a cayenne pepper in the in, in the nose. But definitely, the coffee is very aroma, uh, very apparent in the aroma. It's, uh, okay, so it's percolated Guatemalan coffee from the Commonplace Coffee Company in Squirrel Hill. That's Moss. funny. I drank that coffee this morning. <laughs> I did. The exact Guatemalan? Yes. Yeah. The malts that are used are Pilsner Maris Otter Munich 2 Honey Melanoidin Carapils Crystal Caramel Wheat Chocolate and Black. That's it's a kitchen, huge Kitchen though. sink beer. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Columbus and Fuggler, the hops that are used, 5.8% alcohol by volume, 52 IBUs. This one has a pretty good coffee aroma. We find that coffee beers generally come in like two different categories, right? There's coffee beers that have this vague inference of coffee that kind of smells like your work coffee. And then there's coffee beers that really pull out some of the volatiles and the nuance out of, out of good coffee. And this one is in the latter, right? This one doesn't just smell like stale Joe, right? This one has kind yeah, of a... it's not a your Folgers crystals, right? right? And, you know, I'm a big fan of Commonplace. We've talked about it on the show before. When we do talk about coffee, I think it's some of the best coffee in town. It makes really flavorful roasts. Lots of single-origin things you can get. And uh, Guatemalan, like I said, I literally had it this morning. And so what are the notes in the Guatemalan coffee? I don't drink coffee, so... Okay. Um, the Guatemalan is... Jeez. Uh, See, when I drink my coffee, I, I no- don't normally it. think about it critically. So let me try to... <laughs> pull that one out um i mean i do at times but like this morning it was i just want a good coffee to wake me up um i would say it's more funky right i mean it's, it has more um more kind of an expressive uh somewhat licorice like flavor that comes through here i think let me pull up the commonplace coffee's website actually has a pretty good description of uh the character of the I'm just very far away from my keyboard. Hey, Greg, mm-hmm. talk why type. Mm. I, I think that that licorice character is coming through in the beer. Whether that's coming from the coffee or not, I don't know. Like we said, the, there's a huge malt bill on this, um, particularly putting in melanoidins and, and wheat and you know, honey malt, all this kind of stuff. It's uh, very interesting to, to throw all that together. It has a really light body for the, for the beer. I was expecting it to be a little bit chewier. Um, but the, the finish has got, I mean, there's a really nice ash in the finish. Um, it doesn't seem to, well, it does have a, a, there's a bitter component to it in terms of the hot bitterness. It's not bracing. Um, it's just a, it's a, it's a soft beer with, with a coffee background to it. Uh, it's not over the top. Uh, that's why I was asked about the, the coffee itself. Just trying to figure mm-hmm. out exactly what, what sort of textural layer it's um, adding to the beer. Um, because again, it's not it's not superly bombastic, and there's as a coffee beer goes, it's not. While it's aromatically pretty 
pretty um, you know uh, punchy as, as the coffee goes. It's not aromat or it's not flavor. Um, the, the intensity of the flavor doesn't necessarily match the intensity of the aroma. So for the Guatemala, the description is actually the shortest description. They call it juicy nectarine sugar cane. So more of a fruity or a fruit yeah, forward kind. Yeah. Definitely fruit coffee yeah. roast. I mean, the hops we use, Columbus and Fogo, I mean, these, you know, old uh, old hop varieties are not really going for, you know, these big alpha acids or anything like that. They're just trying to give a, a, a baseline to get some bitterness in there. It definitely, you know, it's served on nitro. It has a creaminess to it, right? It, the, it doesn't have a prickly carbonation. It definitely mm-hmm. has that creamy carbonation. It's not quite velvety, though, right? It's, it's not, like all in nitro yeah. it's yeah. almost like maybe this was like a carbonate in the bright tank you know you know and, and they just put the keg on the nitro serving here right and, and it's not quite has that more yeah the, 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 the texture of the nitrogen or the nitrogenated sort of character that you'd expect isn't as creamy and silky mm-hmm. that being said the beer you know, on a nitrogen basis, a little bit of it gets blown out when we put it in the pitcher and then bring it across. So, right, right. you know, expecting that to, to hold, but just enough of that creaminess would really probably make the beer, to me, a little bit more interesting. It, it's gotten a little thin just from the, that expression. Right. Um, so, you know, if it had, I like the I like the coffee texture, but at the same time, I think a, a soft, a little vanilla or a little, even just a, a hint of something more than just the fruitiness of the coffee would, would go a long ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, base beer is incredibly balanced, so I, I really think the expression's good. Yeah, I, I often have problems with nitrogen beer because I think they, it, it flattens out flavors a lot, you know, unless it's used really judiciously, really, you know, in, in the perfect beer that's designed for the style. All right, so... I think we move to the Purple Monkey Dishwasher next, huh? Do you want to do that or do you have to? Well, we're doing porters and stuff. This yeah, one's okay. a Belgian, so we'll jump on that one last. So another Evil Genius beer is there. Purple Purple Monkey Dishwasher Chocolate Peanut Butter Porter. This uh, is actually a style that I've seen uh, a couple beers do. Another example is Duclaw in Maryland is doing a, uh, their Sweet Baby Jesus is a chocolate peanut butter porter. Mm-hmm. So... I think it's just, you know, chocolate peanut butter. Everyone recognizes everyone loves chocolate and peanut butter together. So it's sort of a thing where people are like, well, let's put those together and see if they've turned to a good beer or not. We've, we've got a couple of breweries in San Diego. You were, uh, we were speaking during the break about Carl Strauss, and um, there's another brewery down the road from us called Belching Beaver, and they, they've got a peanut butter stout that uh, people are really digging, and the guys at Mother Earth, which is around the corner from them as well. Um, there are a bunch of these peanut butter sort of porters and stouts being brewed in San Diego, and uh, some of them are very, very, very good. So I'm looking forward to tasting this and seeing. Yeah, the aroma on this one is very, very powerful. Oh, yeah. But what I'm smelling is not necessarily peanut butter or chocolate. It drew any more of the the wafers from a Kit Kat or something like really? that, right? I'm getting this wafery, you know, or those, you know. I mean, it's definitely they're in the like Kit Kat. Reese's to me. Oh, and, really? And it's, it, it smells more along those lines. Uh, by the way, 6.7%, 35 IBUs. Malts that are used are two-row crystal chocolate and roasted barley, hops, tetanang, and warrior. This is available in March. Yeah, I, I hear you. It's got a, there's a sort of a wafer quality about it. It's it's also got sort of a dry roasted component to it, almost like if you had like a peanut butter powder or sort okay. of a, mm-hmm. um, if you opened up the, the, the bin and, and just had roasted peanuts in a bin or, um, but not a, it's not a negative quality, but it's, it's a very strong quality. And the question is is whether it's overdone at that point. 
So, now the so with a peanut butter been. powder or something like that, that's advantageous because it keeps a lot of the oils out of your beer, yeah. right? So I think a lot of these beers are being made with some sort of a peanut butter powder or a peanut powder um, mm-hmm. for that very reason to keep the oils out. Um, but it, it it's a very strong presence in the nose. Um, I'm still trying to get the uh, the courage up to drink it because the because <laughs> the nose it's not off putting. The, the the flavor is different from the nose, right? Yeah. The flavor the chocolate comes through a lot more, where it's almost non-existent yeah. in the aroma. On their website, they say that uh, they infuse it with chocolate and peanut butter using a secret method concocted by evil genius. I imagine that's just throwing powder in, but who knows? <laughs> or it's a it's a method. very intense aroma, and it, it while it's I, I want to be invited in. It it, it, it gives me this you know, don't cross the threshold piece, yeah. and I just I feel like and I've got to get myself worked mm-hmm. up to go dive in. And when I dive in, there's a lot of that crackery. I'm not even sure if it's crackery, but that, there's that similar. It's got to be that nuttiness that's coming from the, yeah. the peanut. The peanut it, it almost kind of what is it? What are those uh, peanut um, almost peanut Girl Scout cookies? I think they're tagalongs. Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, but there's a, like the wafery, you know, in the flavor, those Kit Kat wafers mm-hmm. kind of turn a little bit orange into like a Nilla wafer a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, very crackery. It's a peanut butter flavor. Actually, the longer you let your aftertaste go, the more the peanuts come through, it seems. And the chocolate kind of, the roast, when the roast fades out, the peanut butter comes in a more distinct flavor. I mean, I, I got to admit, just like the Duclaw one, I, it, it, it feels a little gimmicky to me. It, it feels a little bit like... Um, you know, we're throwing the, these, like I said, these Girl Scout flavors together into the beer. Isn't that neat? And you know, while it, it definitely it, it's neat and it's interesting, it's not really the kind of thing that I would like. I want a six pack of. Well, sure. I mean, there's all kinds of drinkers, though. I mean, I agree with you, right? This is not something that's not an all day or every day right. beer, but the way the flavors are implemented, they they seem pretty solid, right? They don't. I and mean, I've had some beers that you know just. It, you know where the additives taste. I mean, fake, I guarantee you. Know? You, I, you know, I have a, a a sample of this at the Great American Beer Fest. I love it, but you know, I just don't know if I would a one ounce sample. Yeah, yeah, I just don't know if I'd be all you know all about. Oh yeah, oh, I'm getting a case of this beer. And <laughs> it's not my style in terms of cup of teas and things. I, I you're not going to make do. a peanut butter porter. No, I mean, I, I like I like those beers. But you know, when we when we think about thing, adding things to our mix and doing stuff, um, you know, we really like to have a clear cut vision for it. And because I don't necessarily love the the flavors, and, and I'm not, I can't tell you my top five peanut butter chocolate beers. Um, it's one of those things where if we were to go after it, I would I would feel a little bit hollow about it because it would right. be more about chasing a, a market condition or something that people are looking for than us going, man, we can make a really great one. Right. Um, we've got a board meeting, which is our, our coffee and chocolate um, imperial brown ale, and we think it's a really, really nice mix of the coffee and chocolate flavors. Um, but you know, we aren't going to go, we aren't going to sort of bastardize it and add, add you know peanut butter to it one day just because we think we should have a peanut butter you know variation or iteration of it. So um, you can always have candy canes in at Christmas time or something. I know, like that. right? So you know, for us, it's it's really about when we commit to making a, a specific beer or working with a new flavor it's really about our guys being excited about those flavors and uh, and wanting to do that um, we made for the first time this year at the brewery uh, we made a pumpkin beer um, and uh, it's called avant gourd and uh, we made it because 
pumpkin beers are you know sort of all the rage these days. They're both dumps, yeah. Um, you know, pumpkin beers are really popular, but the pumpkin beers in the fall they're they're great when they're done you know really well. And uh, so we we chose to to make our our pumpkin beer with uh, with Pretanomyces and oh, uh, made some really interesting flavors in the beer itself. And it caused uh, caused us to be able it allowed us to be able to use less. Um, spice because the brat brought so much spice and, and sort of phenols to the mix. You know, that's... Uh, I'm sorry, I, I think we're done. I, no, mean, I <laughs> cut fun. you off. Um, so we have a couple laws of craft beer radio, right? The first law is the better the beers, the better the show. The <laughs> second law is... I forget what the second um, law is, but the third some, law... So I think the second law is like the stronger the beers, the better we think the show is. Um, and then the third law is pumpkin beer is never as good as you think they will be. You know? Absolutely. Or the actual, or the the idea of a pumpkin beer is always better than the eventual actuality of a pumpkin beer is the idea. Yeah. Because pumpkin beer sounds like it should be the best thing ever. It just sounds so good. And I'm not saying all pumpkin beers suck. I'm just saying it's really hard to make one that's as good as your expectation because it sounds like it should be so awesome. Yeah, we. So, um, I'm sorry, to cut you off. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, that that's you know that is the thing though is that you know we when you're making those kinds of beers and they're they're wildly popular, there's a consumerism about them that you have mm-hmm. to deal with, and the consumer wants them to be you know judiciously spiced or overspiced or be you know pumpkin spice latte like. Um, I judged again at the Great American Beer Festival this year. I judged the pumpkin beer category. Uh, all all the rounds through through the medal winning. Um, I can't imagine your tongue must have been. <laughs> it's always blown. interesting, but you know the, the the style when you read the style guidelines at, at a competitive level. You know it says it should not only smell and taste like pumpkin. Um, you know it basically states that it should not be a spiced beer, mm-hmm. in so much as the spice should not be the flavor driver. But it's almost impossible to make a beer taste like pumpkin and make the pumpkin good in its intensity without roasting it or doing something on a cooking level to really draw out those those flavors and the and those notes without using overly overly spiced beer um, and we gave the I think the uh, one of the awards that we gave out there was uh, to me the beer was a little bit too spiced um, and it was sweeter but it was exactly what I think people in the marketplace have come to sort of associate uh, with what a pumpkin beer would be on a shelf. Right. Uh, we also had a beer hit the table that was really ugly looking and had almost pumpkin puree poured into it um, that tasted like pumpkin because it literally had like raw right. pumpkin puree in it. And uh, well, I hear it's hard to get the pumpkin to settle out, right? Oh, that beer was incredibly ugly. Um, <laughs> it looked like it had like literally like they'd fermented pumpkin like mash or, or pumpkin meal. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things. Back up to why we did it or what we're doing with mm-hmm. ours. Um, you know, we look at it and say, what, what about a pumpkin beer could be cool? Well, if you try to challenge your brewers and you say, well, how do you make a great pumpkin beer without a lot of spice? Where are you going to carry that spice from? Is it going to be a hop spice? Are you going to use something that's not clove and nutmeg and allspice and cinnamon and things? And maybe you go out and find a, a, some really cool new fangled thing and mm-hmm. it, it can be, you know, it could be that. But the challenge was to basically make a very balanced beer that we would want to drink around Thanksgiving time that had pumpkin in it but wasn't necessarily those three cinnamon, nutmeg, clove, allspice right. mm-hmm. sort of things and uh, and pejoratively sweet and brown and orange and caramely and all that kind of stuff. I think everything you just said really nails the point on my opinion, right, where I'm sick of pie beers, right. pumpkin pie beers. Um, I had two noteworthy pumpkin beers this season, or pumpkin uh, beverages this season, uh, had... Uh, 
Twisted Pines Pumpkin IPA. Um, that was pretty good, and it was the first time I've had a pumpkin IPA. Yeah. So the, the IPA bitterness and flavoring really worked well with the pumpkin. But the best thing I had of the season was actually from Woodchuck Cider. Ah. They did a pumpkin cider with no spices. Yep. And you could actually taste pumpkin in it, and that was the best pumpkin beverage I had this year. It's funny. I walked into our production manager's or production director's office, and um, Gwen, Gwen Conley, and uh, I was joking one day, and I walked in and said, we have this idea we're going to brew a pumpkin IPA because pumpkin beers are the hottest seasonal thing on the planet right now, and IPA is the biggest selling uh, sort of category. And so I was joking that we were going to merge the two categories together because that's so how we look at making beer, you know, which is clearly not how we look at making beer. But I was just being a, sort of a, a, you know, an a-hole about it or just being funny, you know, irreverent. And, uh, and then I came back and said, no, I'm not really serious about that, but I do want to make this batch of avant-garde. I want to, I want to take this beer to guard that we normally do, avant-garde, and I want to change it up a little bit and see how the Brett behaves. Mm-hmm. I'd like to have a seasonal beer like that that would sell very well. It would, it would create its own sell-through because of the pumpkin notion, but without being pumpkin spice. I, I think, you know, I just saw on Halloween, Allagash Brews... The um, Ghoul Ship. Yeah. Ghoul Ship, yeah. right. Which is their pumpkin beer that they cool in their cool ship, so it's spontaneously fermented. And... Your Avant Gourd and Cool Ship are two beers I really want to try. I want to see what a wild pumpkin tastes like. It must, it must be interesting. But I, I have noticed a backlash this year against pumpkin in general. There's, there's a huge amount of like memes on the internet about pumpkin spiced everything. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is, and I was talking to, to Mike, the manager here at Spoken Joe's, he said that there was a lot less selling of pumpkin beers than he had in the past, even though there are a lot more pumpkin beers out there. Yeah, we made a joke because the pumpkin beer season starts in the end of June, and the, you know everybody's rushing to market to get their pumpkin beer to market. No one buys it after Halloween, right? Well, that's the thing. And so that's what we were talking about is, is what's the difficulty for us in terms of producing Avant Gourd, um, you know, a beer that's really not designed to be on tap necessarily, and it wants to be it wants to be a Thanksgiving beer, not necessarily a Halloween pumpkin beer, um, because we want it to be a table, you know, a beer to guard for the, the, mm-hmm. the seasonal table, not necessarily something you drink at a bar or, you know, um, you know before Halloween. And uh, there's going to be a challenge on a consumer basis for that and that's one of the reasons we think having some bread on board and really selling right. it as sort of a, a true beer to guard in a table in a table environment you know it'll want to be on your thanksgiving table absolutely uh, i don't want to beat the pumpkin beer thing into the ground <laughs> i do actually have one more comment though and that is it's kind of a curious um counter to what greg said where you know the pumpkin beers are getting this backlash mm-hmm. i think brewers this year are finally learning how to make better pumpkin beers. While I didn't love a lot of the pumpkin beers we did taste, I think they were better in general than they have been in the past. So That's all you. So Al- <laughs> <laughs> Althea is the last beer we're having here from Weyerbacher. This is a Belgian-style double brewed with plums. It is 7.10% alcohol by volume. This is also part of their uh, as a charity beer, part of the for every bottle sold, Weyerbacher donates a dollar to the Pink Ribbon Fund to help women with uh, breast cancer. Yeah, uh, this recipe was a homebrew recipe designed by one of their sales reps, their Philly area sales rep, Natalie. And um, she brews it once a year at the brewery the last couple of years. And, uh, yeah, like I said, Belgian-style ale with plum. Well, she's a heck of a sales rep, and uh, and she goes river. she goes down the river with us each year when we go... Philly Beer Week, we go tubing with Tommy, and uh, she's she's part of the crew that goes down the river. So, kudos to her. Um, it's funny. I, I 
I was smelling the beer before you were t- while you were talking about the pumpkin beers, and I got this really nice bubble gum and, and a little bit of the banana quality. Not remembering, of course, that it was a Belgian double, so I was intrigued when you, I, not knowing much about the beer other than it sort of had the fruit in it, um, but it absolutely does what a sort of that yeasted Belgian double would do, um, and I, I like the plum texture. Um, so overall, it's a great beer. Um, my Weyerbacher story is 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 funny. There's a um, it's a small brewery in Belgium, uh, the Dodole Brewers, and uh, Dan apparently visits them from time to time, and we've gone over and visited from time to time. And every so often, um, they they mistake myself and Dan for for, the, for being the other. <laughs> so I've walked in and they've said, "Hey, it's Dan," and I said, "I'm the other guy." And then um, it's it's funny. So Dan and I have a little bit of a. a you walk we, in we, and they're like, "That double Simcoe is so yeah. much better than <laughs> we, we, good Duck Duck Goose." We're not quite, you know, we're not quite pure doppelgangers in that sense, <laughs> but uh, you know, short, bald, fat, white guys with goatees, uh, you know, kind of kind of works out for both of us. So we love we love traveling and uh, telling them that uh, we're the other guy. <laughs> uh, this is really nice. I like the I, I like the finish on this. I like the. Uh, the smoothness of the plum, it really comes through well, but doesn't overpower uh, the rest of the beer. And I think, like Tommy was saying, the, the yeastiness the, and that sort of Belgian quality definitely comes through as well. It's a little acidity in the finish. There's almost a tart mm-hmm. cherry, but yeah. it's, it's probably the plum. Um, I think it's a really nice beer. I think a little more yeast phenol or spice quality, because uh, it's, it's pretty fruity on the, on the top end, mm-hmm. um, would support the back end of the beer. I think it would take away for a little bit of the acidity that, that's in the finish. Um, that's that's a personal preference more than anything. It's just that that, that latent just sort of tartness um, would would be held up just just enough, and it's a great beer. Yeah, I mean, like all doubles, I think this would be a fantastic beer to, to have with food too. Yeah. I mean. yeah, what I'm tasting, you know, I'm tasting, you know, kind of what you expect for a Belgian double, right? You get some of those um, roasty, sugary, cookie type flavors, and then the one thing that's a little bit of outlier in the middle, and it's interesting because it's, it's a touch of tobacco. Or it's uh, something a little woody or something like that it comes out. You know, it's a, it's a phenolic thing, I think, from, from the yeast. And, you know, I need to take a couple more sips and really dial in on a little clothing. bit more. Yeah, may, perhaps. Uh, I'm going to take another sip here and try to dial in a little bit more. But it was just something I pointed out, like, was, like, a little bit of a, a fascinating facet to the, to the beer compared to what, like, you'd expect from... Yeah, I, I think the, the the phenols are, are coming through uh, nice and strong, and I think that that is helping to balance out what could be an overpowering plum. If it were, there's quite a bit of plum in the beer. It's yeah. interesting that it, that they were able to carry that much to it. I mean, I, I I sort of associate that with being a very simple, very simple fruit, and not something that that um, you would be able to hold in the beer for for a very long you know long finish. But part of it, I think, is because it the, it has such a tart kind of edge to the back end of the beer. That that flavor comes back through, um, and it's not an overly yeasted finish for the beer, um, so I think it works pretty darn well. And at seven point seven percent, it doesn't really feel as strong as it is. No, it actually belies the mm-hmm. almost eight percent part of it. There's a levity to it that I wasn't expecting. I think it's about time to do the ranking. Now we told Tommy ahead of time how we do our show, and he can choose to opt out of rankings. You know, it's not in his best interest to to put any. Um, anyone in the beer industry last, but uh, Greg and I are going to do what we normally do. And uh, uh, usually we have visual aids of cans and bottles in front of us <laughs> to help us remember what we drank. And, you know, we associate certain, like, opinions with the label. So it's going to be different now that we only have three pitchers and no labels in front of us. We have a, right. a sheet. So it might be a little bit more um, off the seat of our pants. So I'm going to start from the top. Okay. 
and let's see. We did. Uh, I think that I'm gonna put. I'm gonna sound like a stout fan tonight, you know, like a stout freak. I'm gonna put the Edmund Fitz as the top. I think that one had a, a really good flavor. It was a little more buttery on draft today than than what I'm used to, but uh, it, was, it was still quality beer. And then number two, I'm gonna put the coffee perky bust from uh, Full Pint Brewing. And then I think I'm gonna jump a little bit and go to the uh, Ninja Power. Is that what it's called? Ninja Turtle. Ninja Tur- or uh, Turtle Power. Turtle, turtle Power. Power. I was trying to remember yeah. which part of the theme it's song all, the beer was named similar. after. Uh, turtle Power number three. Uh, I, I enjoyed how I thought the grapefruit was going to be... Well, I was worried how the grapefruit was going to be overpowering from just the taste. Right. And it actually had more legs. You could get through a sample. You could probably get through a whole pint and, and not be too fatigued from the grapefruit juice. Uh, now it's starting to get a little fuzzy on where we're going. Um, Althea 4. I enjoyed this beer quite a bit. And uh, maybe if I was, had bottles and could actually think about it, I'd rank it a little bit higher. Um, it's good Belgian double with uh, the fruity flavors and some of that clove. And then now we're down to um, what's Pineapple. left? Pineapple. Oh, okay. So I'm going to put the peanut butter porter in fifth place. Uh, I think it was well done for those flavors added to a beer, but in, a, in general, you know, even the best one of those in the world doesn't isn't a world class beer. At least not that I've seen. And then I'm going to put the pineapple one in last place. I think there was some pretty, pretty weird sulfuriness going on there, um, which I haven't had in that beer before, and that was really distracting me. Okay, I'm going to... My view is a little bit different. Uh, my number one, and I think it's going to be the Althea. I think I really enjoy this uh, a lot. I, I love the, the way it's coming together. I love the complexity that's coming out of it with the plum maintaining itself, but at the same time having this nice sort of spice bouquet to, to that, that's just coming from the yeast that just makes it... I would love to try this reconditioned. Like, you know, the bottle well, yeah. stuff's going to be reconditioned. I think that that yeah. would be a different beer than on draft. Uh, my number two is going to be Edmund Fitzgerald. I mean, that's just a fantastic beer and always, <laughs> always a great one. Uh, number three, I'm with you. The Turtle Power was really, really very, very good. Uh, number four, I'm, I'm going to just be good with you slightly. I, I kind of, I kind of actually thinking back about it, I kind of like the pineapple. I think that it might be a nice, you know, it's a nice sessionable thing that you can just drink and, and have and, and enjoy for you know, a, a pint or so, and uh, and then can move on to other things. Uh, Perky Bus be number five, and my number six is going to be the peanut butter. I just felt like it, it felt way too gimmicky. Tommy, do you have any closing comments on any of the beers you want to? Thank you for the the range of beers. It was pretty cool. Um, I. I think that my favorite sort of beer in terms of the six presented was probably the grapefruit, um, only in so much as I, I, the, I found the, the, the aroma just to be really, really well done. Um, it wasn't my favorite flavored beer necessarily. Um, I think in terms of flavor, maybe the, uh, the Althea was the one that, and again, like you, I think on a re-fermentation level, that probably would be very interesting to see the, some of the moosiness and just a, a nice reconditioned bottle. Um, so those two, just you know, of the four or the six that we uh, the six that we drank, I I think I prefer those. And then beyond that, uh, no real need to, to, to 
discuss what sure. uh, on, a, on a one to six kind of level well, for me. Thanks for taking the time to be on our show, Tommy. Awesome. And I uh, hope to see you again sometime soon. Well, we're so. going to work the market and have fun this week. So, so well, thanks everybody for joining us on this episode of Craft Beer Radio. Craft Beer Radio is produced under Creative Commons license. You can visit craftbeerradio.com for more information. If you want to contact us, you can contact us on Twitter. Uh, Beer at Craft Beer Radio. Beer at Craft Beer Radio is the email address. Twitter is at Jeff Air, at CBR Greg, at Craft Beer Radio. And uh, Tommy's people want his attention, so we're going to get out of here. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Tommy.